thanks. You be seated. I hope that your prayer and your life's idea as well, that this is that, that was your story in your song. We are in the book of James, and we are walking through that book just verse by verse. Uh, James is a book that was written to the early church, um, actually before they were called Christians. At this point, that term's just becoming kind of known. They're actually, at this point in history, uh, many of them are known as, as people of the way because they believed in Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as these people started following Christ and the church started growing a little bit, uh, James, who's a pastor at the Church of Jerusalem, writes a letter that starts getting shared around to all of these young believers, these people who are following Jesus. But Jesus has been gone now for about 20 years. And he's trying to explain to them what mature faith looks like. And so James kind of starts walking through principles. And we've talked about a lot of them. That mature faith is a doer of the word. It's not just a hearer. Mature faith is a servant. It's someone who is quick to hear, um, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, he talks about the idea that uh, a, a mature believer doesn't show favoritism or partiality. Uh, mature favor, uh, a mature faith actually has something that accompanies it. It's not just words. And one of the things that's interesting, and we're going to spend a lot of time on it, to, we're going to spend most of the time on it today, is that in the book of James, there's a lot said about your speech, the words that you use. In fact, on all, it's mentioned in all five chapters. James has something to say about our speech. And we're going to look at a, at a major portion of that. Um, this morning. The book is written to believers. So these are people who are claiming the name of Christ, people who are following Christ. So he often calls them brothers or sisters. Um, You have to understand that many of the people who had come to Christ came out of a Jewish background. So when you look at the Jewish belief about speech and about words, there's a lot of interesting things that pop up. Um, for instance, in the, in the Jewish world, here's what they believed. They believed that, that speech or your words were like arrows. That they could go far and they had the ability to destroy. Um, in the Jewish mindset, they said there are three things that, um, you could never, that could never return to you. Um, one was a spent arrow. The second you release that arrow, you have lost control over what that arrow now does. So that was never going to come back to you. Um, a spoken word was something that once it went out, you had no control over it. So you lost the ability then to do something about that. And then the last thing that they said was a lost opportunity. When an opportunity is presented before you, if you don't take it, you may or may not get a second chance at that. So in the Jewish mindset, they looked at this idea of of words, and they put a lot of value on words and how they were spoken and what was actually said. So with that in mind, James in chapter 3, which is where we're going to be this morning, basically walks us through a whole bunch of things. So here's what he says, first of all, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Um, so one of the first things that James does is he talks specifically to the leaders, people who are teaching the Word of God. Now you have to understand that in the Jewish world, the teachers were known as rabbis. 
Um, and the more, uh, the more wise you became, the more people wanted to follow you, and the more people hung on to your words. And so being a rabbi is a huge, huge deal in the Jewish world. In fact, it was taught that the rabbi was more important than even your parents, as far as respect them. Because your, your parents brought you into the physical world. The rabbis were preparing you for the world to come, the spiritual world, the eternal world. So in the Jewish world, rabbis were held in incredibly high esteem. In fact, if you had ransomed a large group of people, the rabbi was the first one that you were allowed, that you, that you would try to ransom from a group of people. And really, throughout history, people in the clergy have often been the most respected people within a community. Um, really, until about the 1600s, they were usually the most educated. Um, they were, because most of them would have known at least three to four languages. Um, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, plus whatever language of the, the, the place that they were in. Um, they were usually uh, highly respected for advice and that kind of, of thing. Um, they were usually the, in, in, in the Jewish world, uh, you were not allowed to work as a, as a teacher, as a rabbi. Um, so what would, or you had, or you had to work, but the idea was that what people started doing was, for instance, um, it's, uh, so Leo, I know he doesn't farm anymore. Um, he works for, he works for his son. Um, so, um, so let's say Lael's the farmer and he, he wants to do something and I'm the rabbi in the local Jewish synagogue. What he would do is he'd say, you come and work for me. And I kind of wouldn't work for him, but I kind of would get paid by him. That's kind of how that worked. So if you were somebody who was the sole supporter of a rabbi, you were like a big deal in the community. And that, that became an area of prestige that, you know, oh, I've hired the rabbi. The rabbi works for our farm. So that was kind of the mindset. Uh, of this culture. So when James speaks here, he says, look, be very careful about wanting to be the guy teaching or the person teaching. He said, because you're going to be held to a different standard. And those of you who are involved in leadership, you know this as well as I do. The further you go in leadership, the more restrictive and the more careful you have to be. Um, uh, as a teacher, as somebody who does this every week, there's a greater responsibility on my end of it, and there's a greater um, accountability on my end of it. Um, you know, everybody gets on me because I'm really conscious about the time that I'm, I'm up here teaching. Um, I, I, I look at those numbers every week. How long was the message? And people go, oh, don't worry about it. We enjoy it, you know, and you're just trying to make me feel good, but I, I know how that goes. Um, you know, we enjoy it. It's okay. Don't worry about the clock. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of insight into how I think about stuff like this. If I'm you, and I walk in here, and let's say the message is 30 minutes long, I'm going to give an account for 30 minutes of the message. I have 30 minutes of my time that I'm going to give account to. If you're the guy teaching, on a typical Sunday we have 200 people here. So let's just say 180, just so I can do the math easy, all right? So if 180 people are sitting here, and everybody sitting here for every minute that I use is one minute times 180, that's three hours. So in other words, it rolls out very, very quickly 
that my 30 minutes up here, in my mind, is... Did I do my math right? Yeah, yeah, okay. 180, yeah. Three hours for every minute, okay? 30 minutes is 90 hours. I'm going to give an account for now. You're going to give an account for your 30. I'm going to give an account for 90 hours. That's why James says, be really careful about wanting this. About wanting to do this. Now, by the same token, the rewards are incredible. Because you get the ability and the influence to be able to impact lives forever. That's the incredible privilege that comes with it. But it comes with a heavy responsibility. That's by the way. Some of you are big fans of different radio preachers or podcast preachers or video preachers. Can I encourage you along these lines? Pray for them. Because the responsibility on their shoulders multiplies itself out. So James says, look, you need to understand. So, you know, when I, when we're, when, when I talk to guys about ministry, when I find young guys coming out of college, I'm like, okay, oh, I'm excited. I'm all ready for it. I've been trained for it. And I'm like, oh, I'm worried about you, buddy. The guy who goes, I don't know if I want to do this. Oh, good. Let's go talk. Okay. Because you understand the responsibility to come. That's why it's so important. That's what James is saying. He's saying, be really careful. You need to understand your words have a tremendous amount of, of, of power. And then he's going to expand on that. Listen to what he says. Um, oh, listen. Uh-oh, what happened? Doot, doot, doot. Oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? Whoa, this thing's going... Okay, wait a minute. I know what to do. Turn it off. Turn it back on. There we go. I've never seen this before. Okay. Ah. <sighs> You know, technology is a two-edged sword, people. Um, here we go. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect or mature. That's what the word means when you come to it in James. Able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn them, the whole animal. Or we can take ships as an example. And although they are so large, they're driven by a strong wind... They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. James says, look, you need to understand, even though your tongue is incredibly small, it has the incredible ability to control things. He uses the analogy of a horse. I'm not a horse person. God bless those of you who are. I'm not. Um, uh, if, if I was a farmer and I had to have horses, I, I'd be in trouble. Okay? I want something with gas and a motor, and a key. Uh, because I, you know, um, in fact, quick rabbit trail. Um, when we were at camp, I was uh, three years, I was at work as uh, uh, in a full-time Christian camp, year-round Christian camp. We had three ski, ski boats in the 80s. Uh, those boats at that time were twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 a boat. Um, and we had to insure them for giving skiing lessons to kids and a different driver every week for the boat. So we thought, and so we got all of those insured. Somebody donated a horse to us as a camp. You know that it was going to cost us more money to insure the horse than three than three twenty five thousand dollar a piece boats because they said 
We asked the interviewer, it's, it's insane. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, there's a certain amount of control over the boat. An animal is a different ball game when we're dealing with children and kids and everything else. So we had to turn down the, the horse. But anyway, um, here's what he says. Here's what I do know about horses. The bit is not very big. And yet, it controls the whole animal. In a boat, when we had those ski boats, they had the rudder on them was about this big. Um, they controlled the whole boat at top speeds. They controlled the whole boat. This is what James is saying. You need to understand. He's going to explain on this in a minute. He says, you need to understand. Your tongue, it's a little thing. But it has so much power and control over your life. You've got to understand its significance. And so he picks up on it then and he goes a little bit farther. And here's what he says. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of iniquity, of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. Okay, so let me walk you through this whole passage real quick. Here's first of all what he says. He said, consider a great forest is set on fire by a small part. Look, we're in a burn ban right now. You know as well as I do, why do we have a burn ban? Because it takes one spark and we can wipe out field after field after field. It doesn't take much. It takes one person to go, oh, I'm not thinking, and one little spark and the whole thing can go. James says, you need to understand, that's the tongue. It, one little thing can impact and destroy and start carrying on. And then uh, he, he gives a whole bunch of things that are interesting in here. He says, notice it corrupts the whole body. He gives you a progression here. He says, it corrupts the whole body, just like that bit does, just like that rudder does. And then it sets the whole course of one's life on fire. In other words, not only does it corrupt your body, but it now starts to impact the way you live your life and the direction that your life goes. And then he says, and itself is set on fire by hell. Now here's what's interesting. This word hell is the word Gehenna. It's only used in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. This is the only reference outside the teaching of Christ with the word Gehenna. There's another word for hell, but this word Gehenna. Gehenna was the garbage dump of Jerusalem. It was, a, it was in the Valley of Hinnon. It's where years and years and years ago, back in the Old Testament, they, they sacrificed children to Moloch. So they took that area and they said, you know what, this isn't good. We don't want anything done with this area. And they made it the garbage dump. So when you took your trash out in Jerusalem, you'd take your little cart, you'd push it out into the valley of Hinnon, you would dump your trash. It was always burning because they just kind of had a continual burn pit going. The lepers had nowhere to live, so often the lepers would be out there at Gehenna ready to grab the stuff out of your garbage cart because they could eat some of it before it got thrown on the burn pile. So the valley, the Gehenna was not a place that you said, hey, let's go take a vacation to Gehenna. I mean, nobody wanted anything to do with Gehenna. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, you need to understand, your tongue can corrupt your whole body, 
which in fact then starts to shape your life. And before you know it, you have a lifestyle that no one wants. No one wants to be around you. Nobody wants anything to do with you. You have to understand the power of your tongue. And then he does what's really interesting. He then goes to verse 7, and here's what he says. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now here's what's interesting. A lot of Bible commentaries believe that what James does here is he jumps back to the creation story. You see, in the Jewish world, they believed that the first sin was a sin of the tongue, both from Satan and from Adam. Yea, hath God said. So what James does here, by going back to creation, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, that's kind of the creation idea, have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Many people linking this back to the serpent, linking this back to the garden, saying what James is saying here is, just as in creation... The tongue got man in trouble from the beginning. It'll do the same thing to you if you're not careful. And then he ends the passage by saying this. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. Now he makes a shift here. He doesn't talk about the tongue anymore. He talks about the mouth. Out of the mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters... This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same stream? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear fig? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. James says, look, you need to understand your tongue, your speech, is a result of what's in your heart. And so James is saying, he's taking this thing and saying, look, if you want to mature faith, first of all, if you really want to be honest with your heart, look at what's coming out of your mouth. He questions this idea of, look, how can you as a Christian, brothers and sisters, praise God and then mock and make fun or tear down another person who was created in the image of the God you're praising. He says it doesn't work like that. We talked about this when we talked about favoritism. He said, you've got to understand that. So James is really trying to get these people to stop and be honest with themselves about what's in their heart. And the test is, look at what's coming out of your mouth. Um... So that's the challenge. And again, he's going to hit it again in chapter 4. He's going to hit it again in chapter 5. Because he's already dealt with it 1 and 2. And he's just going to continue this thing. Because it is so important to a mature faith to have a speech that is reflective of what God teaches. So, let's talk about a couple of things this week as we head into our week that God has for us. Um, First idea is this. Your life is reflected by what you say. I'm thrilled you're here. But let's talk about your speech this week. 
Let's talk about the things that you said. By the way, on average, you spoke 50,000 words this week. 7,000 words a day is the average. Some of you are going, I know my wife, man, that's a little low. Trust me, you'd be surprised how much we all speak, all right? Um, It's a reflection of what's in your heart. It is. It is. And when you sit there and say, well, you know, that's just, you know, I just can't help it. Come on. Let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah, you can. Well, every once in a while, I struggle. James already said that. We all struggle. We get that. We all stumble. Nobody's perfect. But the goal is to be able to control it. Well, you don't understand. It's hard to control. I'm surrounded by people cussing and swearing all the time. You don't understand. You don't understand how I was raised. You don't understand what I surrounded my world with. You don't understand. Okay, wait a minute. We're talking about what's in your heart. And we're talking about the honest ability for you to control it. And you can control it. You can control it. Look, you know as well as I do. Somebody cusses up a storm and a three-year-old walks up. It's amazing how they can stop and change it. I, I play the pastor card. That changes it automatically. Hi, I'm Pastor Jim. People can, you can do it. And those are unsaved people. Those are people who don't know Christ. Those are people who don't have anything inside. And so James says, look, you need to stop and really take a look at your speech because it does, it does make it a difference. The other, the other idea is this. You, you gotta use it, you gotta use it properly. Um, and I think that's where we, I think that's where we forget. You have the power to shape and mold a life with nothing more than words. One of the reasons I'm in ministry is because when I was in high school, this really cute girl who I had a crush on walked up to me. She was two years older than me, so I didn't have a chance. But anyway. She walked up to me after a deal and said, you know, I think you'd make a good youth pastor. That's all she said. That's all she said. I've had teachers over the years who have encouraged me along the lines of ministry. I'm here as a result of their words. I've been in this thing long enough to realize that you never know. You know, first of all, you got to understand this is a what I do on a Sunday morning is is there's a God thing that happened, and I, I wish I could explain it, but I can't. Because I have people after me, oh, Pastor, it was so good when you said this. I'm like, look, you know what? We can go to the playback. I never said that. I never said that. But God somehow went from my words to your heart and translated it so you heard what you needed to hear. Listen, words have an incredible ability and a power that you cannot imagine to build up. And as he talks about here, they have the power to destroy in heartbeat. It only takes a little spark 
And the next thing you know, your entire crop is gone with one little spark. But you know as well as I do, um, I, I like this. My wife calls it redneck TV. So last night I was watching Forge and Fire. And in Forge and Fire, they had to make knives out of um, a, a railroad um, rail. Okay, They gave him a railroad rail and say, okay, go get your steel. One guy had 30 years experience. He knew how to run an acetylene torch. He fired that baby up. He thought, I'll make this really easy. I'll just go ahead and cut the shape of my knife out and save myself a lot of work. The other three guys had never used an acetylene torch. One guy gave up and said, I'll use a grinder, a angle grinder with a cutoff wheel on it. it. Took him like an hour. The other, the other guy couldn't get the oxygen, the acetylene mixed right. Okay. And he just, he just, the whole thing, he goes, I don't understand it. Every time it heats up, then it melts back over and fills the hole back in. Um, you know, and I mean, I know it's like, okay, well, you got the oxygen on. You can take a spark when you have the oxygen mix and the acetylene mix right. And you can create a flame that has incredible, precise power to whether it be cut something off or get the piece that you need or weld it all back. You don't weld it. Um, what do you call that? Um, yeah. Uh, do that. You do that to it so that it all comes back together. You know me. I, you know, my, my hobby is glass blowing. You understand that I take the same propane that heats your house and through the right combination of air to gas propane mixture, we produce heat of about 2,200 degrees. Um, Now, I don't want that in my house, heating my house, but yet we're able to do that. Why? Because if you can take something as dangerous as a spark and you can control it, and you can adapt it. You can do all kinds of things with it. That's what James is saying. He's saying, look, you need to understand, just as it has the ability to destroy, it has the ability to build and do creative and productive things with. Um, last week, I, for a children's sermon, I, used my, I brought my favorite hammer. This is my favorite hammer. What I didn't tell you is that, for, and some of you know this, some of you don't, um, this is, is what we call a finish hammer. Okay? And it's, it's smaller, it's lighter, it has a round head on it, um, the, the claw is curved this way. This is, this is a finish hammer. Um, and you can use it for other stuff, but that's what it's really designed for. Okay? My second favorite hammer is this hammer. Okay? Um, this is a framing hammer. If you'll notice, it's bigger in size, for one, because you hold it down here and you get more power for it. The claw is different on it because these things you use for everything. Um, it's got a, a different head on it because it's really made for the big, the big serious nails, not the nice little funny finished nails. Oh, that's so cute. Um, no, this is the thing you go whacking away at it. This is the thing if you want to take a two-by-four off and you don't have a saw, you hack away at it with this thing, and it'll break itself off. Um, this, the reason it's all taped up is because it's fiberglass. It's been hit so many times in the wrong places that it started splintering out on me. So I started putting more tape on it. And the other thing is I have orange tape so at the end of a project I look at people and go, 
All of my tools have the orange tape. Put them in my in my van because um, I started losing tools. But this is the idea. Okay, look, your words are one of two things this week. They are a finished hammer that builds stuff up. Or they're a framing hammer that has the ability to tear stuff down. Now, by the way, I can use both of these hammers for both things. But they have a primary purpose. This is designed more for the heavy, big, rough stuff out there. This is designed more for the, oh, let's put up a piece of trim. Oh, let's pull it off. So let's pull it off gently. This is like rip that baby up and pull that baby off. Um, your words have the same power this week. You're either going to, to finish and help and build people's lives with the words that you speak, including your children and your grandchildren, or you're going to say things that are going to tear stuff down and bust stuff up. You know me, I'm going to meddle. So here we go. It's almost 11. Another nine. Those of you who are married, your words to your spouse this day so far, what category? Build up or tear down? Your words to your kids this morning, build up or tear down? The part of those 7,000 words you've been used to. The things that you're going to do this afternoon, you're going to build up or you're going to tear down. Every Sunday afternoon, I call my mom. Six o'clock tonight, I call my mom. That's, that's my routine. Build up, tear down. Um, I will probably, maybe, talk to my kids sometime today. Build up, tear down. I'm going to go into potluck in a few moments. I'm going to sit across the table for somebody. Build up or tear down? What you say is going to do one of those two things. James says mature faith. The kind of faith that honors God builds up. And it comes out of a heart that is right with God. So I want to encourage you this week. You have a tremendous responsibility with the things you're going to say this week. You have an opportunity to build up or to tear down. James says, mature faith is going to build up. Mature faith is going to use those words to help and encourage those that are around you this week. So I just want to challenge you because I'm going to tell you right now, when you turn on the news, probably not going to hear a lot of building up. When you go to work, probably not going to hear a lot of building up. When you stop and deal with somebody in a cashier or somebody at a fast food restaurant or somebody in the drive-up lane, you have an opportunity. Build up, tear down. 
What are you doing? What are you doing? My goal is that everybody that I come in contact with, I find some way to encourage. A conversation with a guy at Menards this week. <clears throat> I say conversation, like three minutes. I always ask, so how are you doing today? <laughs> well, he said, I just started. I said, well, has it been good so far? He said, yeah, so far it has. <laughs> he said, we'll see how the rest of the day goes. I said, well, I hope it's a good one. I hope it's a good one for you. Um, I try to say, have a good day before they do. That's my challenge. It's like a game to me. You know? And then most of them, most cashiers are like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to say that. Hey, you have a good day too. It's like, ha, got you first. I win, you lose. Um, you know? I mean, really, why not? Why not make it fun? Why not make it fun? But I just want to challenge you this week. So I end with this. James reminds us the value and danger of our speech. A good test of what's in our heart is to look at what's coming out of our mouth. This week, use your speech to reflect the life and words of Jesus in everything you say and do. Let's pray. God, this is easy to talk about. It is hard to do. Lord, we all have animals that we've been able to control. And we've had all kinds of things in our world that we've been able to master. But Lord, this this thing of our speech is so volatile and so tough at times. So help us this week. Lord, may you remind us of the opportunity and privilege we have today and this week to impact people for good. And help us to be able to do that with the words that we can use. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise. And may they see you in us, these things we